If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to the book of 2 Timothy. This summer we have been in a bit of a mini-series, um, really focusing on the core of our walk with Jesus in a culture and a time in our country and world where things are changing rapidly, you know, and, and the upheaval that happened uh, earlier in the summer. We, we really stopped to ask ourselves, well, Lord, with all this change happening, well, what hasn't changed? And, and we've been looking at what hasn't changed, our call to follow Jesus uh, completely, being all in. Uh, last few weeks, we, we've been looking at uh, what hasn't changed. The Word of God hasn't changed. And uh, our relationship and what we're called to, to do in light of the Word of God hasn't changed. And, and that's where we're, uh, where we're going to continue this morning. So let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll jump into uh, 2 Timothy. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for what You have been teaching us through Your Holy Spirit this summer in the midst of uh, very volatile times in our country. There's so much change happening uh, all around us. We're thankful that You don't change. You are immutable. We're thankful that Your Word is truth. And uh, that in the midst of uh, chaos, we can find truth in Your Word. So, once again, as we open it this morning, we ask that the Holy Spirit would teach us Help us to understand it, uh, and then not just to uh, get it in our minds, but to, to then apply it, uh, to be doers of the Word, and in being doers of the Word, that you would transform us more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus. So we love you. Thank you for your Word. Accomplish your will and purpose for us this morning uh, through it. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Second Timothy three sixteen and 17, we've looked at this passage uh, pretty regularly the past few weeks. Second uh, Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Right? And then uh, turn a few books to your right to Second Peter. Hebrews, James, First Peter, Second Peter. Chapter 1. Second Peter 1, verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Those two verses have been uh, foundational for us the past few weeks. And really, in summarize, you know, to summarize in, in pretty straightforward terms, we believe that this is God's Word. Okay, and, and really there's three steps, and we're going to look at this in the weeks ahead. There's really three aspects of us coming to the, the knowledge of this being God's Word. There's revelation. God reveals it. Okay. There's inspiration. So revelation would be God the man. Then there's inspiration. We're going to look at this, in, like I said, in a couple of weeks, which is man the paper. Okay. And then there's illumination through the indwelling Holy Spirit. That's paper to heart. So there's three aspects really involved in us when we say this is God's Word. We believe in revelation, we believe in inspiration, and we believe in illumination. Right? All to say, hey, you know what? 
This is God's Word. Now, for if you've been in the church for any length of time, you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, settled that a long time ago. Well, it's one thing to say it's God's Word. It's another thing to apply it. It's another thing to make it real in your life. And the last few weeks, we said, we've been asking the question, well, it's not so much that I don't get it, because, you know, a lot of Scripture is pretty straightforward. It's that I don't like it. What do we do when we're challenged with Scripture that we just don't like? Right? And, and we saw over the last two weeks that really the first aspect is, is an authority issue. That we may not necessarily like it in our flesh, but we can make the choice to walk in faith and obedience in the power of the Holy Spirit just in obedience and love. Amen? In obedience and love. Now, I want to encourage you that, that this, this truth that we, we say pretty frequently around here, that this is God's Word and it's truth and authoritative for us, uh, please don't, don't um, minimize that because there's people all around you and all around me that, that that's still mind-numbing to them. That, that's mind-boggling to them. And in fact, last Saturday, I was at a, a wedding for my niece down in San Diego. And at the reception, you've been to wedding receptions, right? There's busyness and then there's a lot of downtime. So I knew I had to be here Sunday, so what do I do? Well, there's some downtime and I'm at my table. And I pull out my phone. And I start <laughs> studying, you know? I start looking up. Say, okay, Lord, is there anything? And so I'm surfing the web and looking at articles, reading, researching. And uh, somebody... Uh, who knows I'm a pastor, sees what I'm doing. And he goes, oh, getting ready for tomorrow? I'm like, ah, just doing some reading. He goes, uh, you know that's all just up for interpretation. And it was a pleasant conversation. I go, what do you mean? He goes, well, you know, it, it's just whatever anyone believes about it. I said, well, you know, not really. I said, you know, um, if you wrote a book, I was telling you, I said, if you wrote a book as the author, you would have a meaning behind what you wrote. It wouldn't just be open up, up to grabs. As an author, you would have a meaning, an intent behind the contents of your book, right? I said, there are rules of biblical interpretation and study that help us uh, discern the meaning, right? He goes, yeah, but it's just a bunch of different authors. I'm like, no, there's one author. He goes, what about Paul and, you know, Paul and all the others? What about all of them? It's all just in their interpretation. I said, no, there's just one author. And he goes, hmm, i got to think about that. And he walked away. And, and, and I was so blessed to have that, that little conversation because he walked away going, one author? One author? Right? And, and, and so there was a little bit of, of, of a correction and a little bit of just planting seeds to get him to think that, oh, maybe it, isn't, maybe it isn't just up for anybody to think anything they want about it. And maybe it isn't a whole bunch of just random human authors that got thrown together. Maybe there's just one author with his meaning. Amen? And, and so I want you just to just, uh, just share that with you on the front end because uh, it was a conversation that literally... I was caught off guard because, you know, I got into my little zone and he just made a little comment. And I'm like, okay, 
Let's chat a little bit. And it doesn't have to be contentious. It doesn't have to be angry. It was just like, no, there's just one author. Hmm. Kind of stumped him when he walked away. Right? So, so there's one author, and this author has a meaning behind it. And, and sometimes when we read Scripture, we don't really like it. Right? It's not that I don't get it. I don't really like that one. That's a tough one. You know, forgive as the Lord forgave me. Ugh. Right? Uh, do not lie for some. Ugh. Right? You understand that. You just don't necessarily like it very much. Right? And we saw that, that one of the ways to, to settle that issue is to understand what kind of relationship we have with, with the Lord. Right? It's a covenant, right? Turn to Matthew 26. Just kind of a review. Matthew 26, 28. And we're going to start here talking about this covenant, diatheki covenant, because there's two aspects of it. Last week, the first aspect we saw was that it, it's an authority. There's an authority structure in our relationship with Jesus, right? Matthew 26, 28. says this. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. In Luke 22:20, 20, you don't have to turn there. He says, in the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you. We've seen here before, uh, if you've been with us for any length of time, where, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you enter into a covenant relationship with God. Now, the word for covenant that Jesus uses is a very specific word called diatheki. Okay? To describe my relationship with Jesus, I would say specifically, I am in a diatheki covenant, which means greater to lesser. Greater to lesser. And in a diatheki covenant, the greater sets the terms, the lesser just accepts or rejects. Okay? There was another term for covenant. That, that I've told you before, it's called suntheki. Suntheki is more peer-to-peer. We're going to negotiate, we're going to bargain, we're going to come to a mutual agreement. You give some terms, I give some terms, and we just sort of compromise. That's suntheki. A lot of us in our relationship with the Lord, we struggle because we like suntheki. We want to try to bargain. We want to negotiate a little bit. When we come across a verse or a passage that really kind of hits home and we're like, okay, let's bargain, Lord. I'll forgive that, 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 but I can't forgive that. How's that? See? Many of us struggle with diatheki. And that has to do kind of even our culture, how we're raised. Because we're raised to be what? Independent. Self-reliant. Autonomous. Right? Be the boss. And along comes Jesus, and God sets the terms of salvation, right? We're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. That's all terms set by God. We accept it or reject it. Do you see the terms He set? God set the terms of salvation. We like those terms. How many of you have agreed to those terms? You understand that that was diatheki, right? He set the terms. You get to heaven. I'm setting the terms. Faith alone in Christ alone. Amen? How many of you like diatheki when it comes to real world stuff? Forgiveness, stewardship, thought life, pride. Is it still diatheki? Is it? Yes. 
It's still a diatheke covenant relationship. And here's the thing. I tell you this a lot. To live a diatheke, joyful diatheke covenant relationship is impossible in the flesh. That's why He gave us who? The Holy Spirit. Where does the Holy Spirit dwell? Why did He give us the Holy Spirit? Because He knew we couldn't do it on our own. The Holy Spirit empowers us, enables us. He calls it walking in the Spirit, to bear the fruit of the Spirit in the context of a diatheke covenant relationship. So if you're struggling, and if you've been struggling, you kind of got to ask yourself, Lord, am I trying to do this soon-fakey thing with you? Am I trying to bargain with you? Am I trying to negotiate a little bit? Or, okay. And what was we saw last week was Jesus was in a diatheke relationship because he said what? Father, I'm not too thrilled with what's about to happen. Remember he's in the garden? Ah, I don't like this. Nevertheless. And nevertheless went diatheke. Nevertheless was submission. And sometimes in our life, if you're struggling with something, if I'm struggling with something, you got to come to the nevertheless moment. Ah. Ah. Nevertheless, because it's diatheke. It's diatheke. Another aspect of covenant that we've looked at before, when you're in a covenant, it's the end of independent living. Okay? What is, in our human world, what is probably the supreme example of covenant? Marriage. Marriage isn't a contract. It's a covenant. It's a biblical covenant. In a marriage covenant, it's the end of independent living, right? Right? I mean, tell me if this would fly. Ernie says to Sally, I would like to enter into a marriage covenant with you, Sally, but I will be married and fulfill all my marital duties, this we thing, Sunday morning from 9 to 10.15. After I have my donuts with you, I'm back to independent single bachelorhood. Sally, are you signing up for that deal? No, right? No, right? You, you understand? When you enter into a marriage covenant, it is the end of singlehood. It's the end of independent living. You're, you're all in. It's now we till death do us part. Right? In Genesis 2.24, what's it say? A man and a woman, they get married, they become what? The two shall become one. One. So in a covenant relationship with Jesus... In a diatheke covenant, not only is it greater to lesser, it's like I'm not, I'm, I'm not my own anymore. Right? In the New Testament, what is the church described as? The, the body and the, the bride. And who's the bridegroom? Jesus. And in Revelation, they talk about something happening. What? A marriage. So we're in this covenant relationship with the Lord where two key things for us, if, we, if we're struggling in areas, it might be because we're trying to do this soon taking negotiation thing, and it also might be that we're trying to be independent. 
We're still trying to live as a bachelor when we said we were all in, Jesus. It's a we thing, and yet we're off six days out of the week doing our thing, trying to live independent. And again, why is that tough? Because in our culture and in our flesh, we want to be the boss. We want autonomy. We want independence, right? The declaration of independence, right? And Jesus says, hey, come follow me. Take my yoke upon you, right? Take my yoke. So, so if you're struggling this morning with some areas in your walk with the Lord, just ask yourself, am I trying to negotiate some deals with him rather than nevertheless? And am I maybe trying to do the independent thing on the side while all the while claiming that I'm his? Right? And, and, and we can struggle with that. And we're going to look at Matthew 4. Let's look at an example of this. In Matthew 4, one of the temptations that Jesus faced. Matthew 4. Came across this quote from Kay Arthur. Many of you are familiar with Kay Arthur. She says this, Sin is walking independently from God. Whatever sin you can name, it has its root in independence from God. Wow. Sin is walking independently from God. When you think about all the list of sins, they really kind of, she's saying, they trickle all the way down. If you follow the trail, at the root, it's this independence. It's I'm the boss, autonomy. You, can, you can't tell me what to do. I'm independent, right? And it's interesting because this, this mindset bleeds into the church. It bleeds into the church. And we've got to be real careful because in 1 Corinthians 12, we're told that when you believe on Jesus, you are baptized or put into what? The body of, the body of Christ, right? And in, in 1 Corinthians 12, it says, hey, you're the body of Christ. There's hands, there's feet, and all this kind of stuff. And Paul says this, the hands can't say, I don't need you. One part of the body can't say I'm independent from you. I don't need you. I don't need you. I don't need you. And yet, we see that manifested, this independent spirit, even within the church. How? I love God. I just don't need to go to church. I'm not so sure about that biblically. Because we just saw in 1 Corinthians 12, you can't say I don't need you. Hebrews 10 says what? Not to forsake the gathering, the assembly, right? And yet this, this independent spirit in us, even within the church, says, yeah, I believe Jesus died for me and I believe I'm part of the broad church, but yeah, I, I can be a lone ranger. I can be independent. So you have to be very careful that this, this, this independence doesn't even seep into our interaction in the church, our interaction with each other, Okay? In Matthew 4, verse 1, it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Familiar? 
temptation, right? Jesus, Holy Spirit leads him out into the wilderness. Forty days, right? And it says he was hungry. He was hungry. So Jesus, in his full humanity, was experiencing hunger. Forty days, right? We would all be hungry. Along comes the devil. And he says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, one way to look at that word if is the word since, right? He wasn't necessarily doubting. The devil knew who Jesus was. Jesus knew who Jesus was. So you can even say, since you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread, right? And then sometimes we say, Jesus says, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Sometimes we kind of hyper-spiritualize that a little bit, guys, and, and we kind of forget the context. This was a real context where Jesus was really hungry, there were real stones, and there was a real answer given. Sometimes we say, oh, he's talking about the Word of God. And, and we kind of say, well, there's real food, and then there's our spiritual food. Not really the context of, of this passage. This is real world, okay? Real world context. And he, what he does, turn to Deuteronomy 8. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8.3. So turn to Deuteronomy, and let's see what's happening there. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Fifth book of the Bible, Deuteronomy 8. Deuteronomy 8. Start in verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I am giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep His commands. Verse 3 is what Jesus quotes. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Okay? So that's the context. That's what Jesus is quoting. Turn back to Matthew 4. So they're out there in the wilderness. They have this supernatural experience, the Israelites, where they're hungry. God speaks, and manna miraculously appears. Right? The principle behind that in Deuteronomy 8.3 was like, hey, God is not constrained by bread. God is sovereign. God is all-powerful. Our provision, our sustenance, everything we need in life, God just has to say it. And He can supernaturally provide in ways you can't even think. That's when he says, man does not live on bread alone. Because as man, oh, it's bread, it's bread, it's bread. He's saying, no, it's not bread. It's whatever God says it's going to be. Amen? Do you understand what he's saying? Man does not live on bread alone. It's whatever God says he wants to give you. Right? So when Jesus quotes that, he's answering a temptation from the devil. And here's the temptation from the devil. Let's look at it again. He says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If or since you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Devil knows Jesus is hungry. He says, Hey, Jesus, 
why don't you just take it upon yourself to fix the problem? Just do it. Since you're the Son of God, why do you have to be hungry? Just fix the problem. Use your divine power, snap your fingers, do something, and boom! Just fix it. Just fix it on your own. In quoting Deuteronomy 8.3, Jesus says this, Hey, you know what, devil? I'm not going to act independently of my Father's will. I'm not. Because remember in verse 1, who led him into the wilderness? The Holy Spirit. Who knew he was hungry after 40 days? God. So after 40 days, being led to where God wanted him to be, after 40 days, he was where God wanted him to be. The devil says, hey, you have a problem. You have a physical need in your life. Just do it yourself, man. Just do it yourself. Just fix it. You're God. Just fix it. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. I am not going to act independently of my Father's will. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. Jesus somehow knew that that wasn't what he was supposed to do. He was going to wait and not act independently of God. And that is really a temptation that that many of us face. We face a, a financial problem. We face a relational issue. And we're tempted in our own strength to fix it. To jump right in. And how many of us have tried to jump right in and do our best with our strengths and our intelligence, only, only, to, only like down the road to say, oh, wait, I forgot to ask God. I forgot to ask God if this was what I'm supposed to be doing. That's what's going on here. The temptation was for Jesus to act independently of God because he could. And in Jesus' response, he said, no, 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 I am submission to my Father's will. He hasn't told me to do that, so I'm not going to do it. And for us, we, 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 it's just so, it's so ingrained in us. There's a problem. Got to fix it. I shared with, with the guys this week, uh, Vinny, my son, usually plays bass, and he was at camp. And I was in here setting things up on Thursday, and I had, I had mentioned to him that, you know, because I, I stepped in before and I, I played bass here before, and... Uh, I said, ah, you know, I think I'll jump in. I'll take your bass home and I'll, I'll refresh myself and learn the songs. So I'm in here setting up on Thursday, praying about things. And, and I just really sensed the Lord was like, no, don't play bass. You're done. You've you, you got too much to focus on and you can't play bass anymore. You can't step in for guitars anymore. If you're going to participate, you've got a specific role on the worship teams. That's just done. I'm like, Okay. So this wasn't even set up. wasn't even set up. We were just going to be without a bass. I'm like, okay, Lord. Thursday afternoon, we have lunch. Chatting, chatting, chatting. Mark's name comes up in a good way, Mark. Um, and, and Bill mentions, oh, Mark's been desiring to play the bass. Well, you know what, Bill? This morning, I wasn't supposed to play the bass. And we were, as far as I know, going to be baseless this morning, and that would have been fine. And God provided in His way and His timing. I could have acted independently and said, I'm going to jump right on that. And I'm going to do that because I've done it before. 
and, and it's going to be extra work for me, and it's a lot more stress on me to, to play a new instrument. I have, you know, and, and, and no, okay, no. I, okay, Lord, I don't, okay, we're just going to have a bass. That's fine. Let it go, Richie. Let it go. Because I'm like, we got to have a bass. We got to, right? And he's like, let it go, man. You, and and, and I, I wrestled. Right here Thursday morning, I'm setting up things. I'm like, well, no bass. That doesn't sound like no bass. No bass. I can play guitar. Don't play guitar. I, oh, I want to help Pat. Oh, Pat's fine. You know? And, and it was a moment, even just this illustration, where on Thursday morning, I could have just acted independently and jumped right in and fixed it. And in that moment, I was trying to listen. I was like, no, don't. Just let it go. And then he provided three hours later the bass player. And, and I was thinking of that in light of, of this temptation, this, this covenant relationship. I'm in with Jesus as much as you. And there's a lot of times where I just want to run ahead. I just want to run ahead. You ever have a little kid when you go to the mall or the amusement park? What do they want to do? And you're like, come back here. Come back here. Come back here. That's kind of us with the Lord. It's like, just walk with me. Just follow me. And we're like, see you, Jesus. It's like, get back here. That's kind of as we want to run. We want to be independent, even with the best of intentions. We need a bait, right? And he's like, no. We're in, we're in diatheke. It's greater to lesser, but it's we. And before you act, you've got you to come to me first. Because look in James. Look what happens in James when he brings correction to some people who didn't do that. Hebrews, James, it's back towards the end of the New Testament. James 4. I love what Jesus says as you're turning there. Jesus says in John 4.34, My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and to finish His work. In John 6.38, I love this. Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of Him who sent me. Wow! If we could just take that to heart. But oftentimes, I mean, I'm guilty of this too. Lord, I've decided to do this. Can you please bless me? That's kind of, you know, that build it and they will come mentality. Well, Lord, I, I think this is a great idea. Come on. Come on, Lord. Even, even as a church leadership, we get inundated with a lot of good ideas. And it takes a bit for us to filter and to say, Lord, this is a really good idea, but is this your will for this body at this time? Mark, when, when you presented to me the Haiti mission trip, Mark presented to me uh, the possibility of coming to speak to the body about Haiti mission trip and if we'd be interested. And I love the way he did it because he presented it in such a way, would you pray about it? Would you consider it? Because that's what we have to do. We just don't jump in and, and, and say, that's a great idea, that's a great idea, that's a great idea. Lord, bless us. No, you've got to flip that and say, Lord, out of all these great ideas, which one is from you? Because that's the ones we want. That's following His lead. That's planning with Him, right? Look at James 4:13. It says this, Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, 
if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. They're some businessmen. And they made some business plans. And they're going to go and they're going to make some money. And they're going to be successful. And in this passage in James, they're like, whoa, time out. God wasn't even in the planning. God wasn't even in your considerations for your plans. Now, is planning wrong? Is planning wrong? No. Planning without God is the problem. You need to plan with God. If you want to be a good steward of your time, of your resources, understand biblical principles of stewardship and plan with God according to His principles. That's planning with God. That's planning with God. And he was just telling these, hey, time out, time out. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I can't think of how many times in my life with the best of intentions, I muddied things up. I thought my plan was the way to go. Didn't even ask for counsel. Didn't even pray. Didn't even seek the Word. Just thought it was the best plan according to my reasoning at the time. And then I spent twice as much time trying to untangle the mess that I created. You ever, you ever have those moments where you spend, you're just untangling what you thought was the solution. And you should go all the way back to the start and you're like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And, and it, it is so vital. This is why this independent spirit, you've got to really be, be aware of it because God puts people around you. Okay, those look next to you, side to side, front and back. God puts people around you to help you discern His will. Amen? That's why it says there's, there's wisdom in a multitude of counsel. If you're seeking God's will, okay, God's will, He's not doing this. Some people think God's will is this. Here's God's will, and God's hiding it behind His back. I got a will for you, Susan. Pick a hand. Pick a hand. Right? And you think that God's hiding His will for your life behind His hand, and you just got to pick the right one. Right? No, 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 no. We're in a covenant relationship, which means understanding God's will is relational. It comes in growing in relationship with Him, in faith and obedience. The more you walk in faith and obedience, the more will He reveals and the more you know Him. Same thing with us. The more you invite and allow people into your life to speak truth, scriptural, biblical truth, to give you counsel, to tell you things that you may not want to hear, the more you're able to better discern God's will. There have been times in the last five years of this church where I have some grand idea for you guys, and those two guys saved you. <laughs> we meet Saturday morning, and say, hey man, what do you think about? I could tell right away they look at each other. What's he thinking? Because I'm like, I know me, and I get going, and I'm like, let's do this, and let's do this, and this is where I come from, and and they're like, whoa, time out, cowboy. No rush. There is no rush. We're fine. We're fine. And I have to listen because God helps me to understand His will for this body through the leadership in this body. Amen? That's, it's so vital. God's will is based on relationship this way and, and help this way. 
That's, that's what it is. And so in this diatheke, wonderful diatheke relationship, <sighs> He loves you. He wants you to know His will. And why? Turn to John and we'll close with this. John 15. We'll see the heart of this relationship. John 15. In John 15, Jesus gives a wonderful word picture of the vine and the branches. A relationship of Him to His believers, to His followers, His disciples. So Jesus is the vine, we are the branches, right? John 15, 4. Remain in Me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. Mm. Independence. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in Me. Let's go to verse 8. This is to My Father's glory, verse 8, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be My disciples. As the Father has loved Me, so have I loved you. Now remain in My love. If you obey My commands, you will remain in My love just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Jesus says, hey, we're in this vine and branch relationship. I want you to bear fruit. How do we stay tight? How do we stay in this love relationship? Well, just walk in obedience. As you walk in obedience to my commands, we remain in a love relationship and then he says, why? Look, I love verse 11. I have told you this so that I can ruin your life. You can have no friends and no fun. Is that why he's telling us this? Is, this, is, is that the purpose? Hey, remain in me, obey my commands, so you can walk around Ojai angry. I'm a Christian and I'm abiding in Jesus. Want to come? You know, I mean, we get it... We, we get when we hear authority. How many of you smile when you hear authority? <laughs> no one, like, right? So when I say we're in this diatheke authority relationship, we're like, there's this human flesh that rears up, and Jesus, he, he just he takes it head on. I love this. Look at verse eleven. I have told you this so that my what joy may be where in you. And that your joy may be what? Complete. Why does Jesus want you to abide in a covenant diatheke relationship? Why? Joy. Joy. His joy in me. My joy complete. I mean, come on. Joy. Joy, joy, joy. He tells us these things because He wants you to have that abundant life He speaks about in John 10.10. 10. Amen? He's not here. He's not the cosmic principal. He's not the cosmic sheriff waiting for you to mess up and then, you know, throw a lightning bolt or something at you. He is in a covenant relationship with you. He's called the bridegroom. We're called the bride. Last I checked, there's love there. There's love. I had a wonderful chance to meet with uh, Kristen and her fiancé last, last uh, Sunday. 
get the privilege to do their, their wedding ceremony in, in September. You know what I love when I meet with engaged couples? The joy and the happiness and the, 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 the kind of like, ooh, the giddiness that they're going to be married and they're together and they're going to be in a covenant. And I'm like, Lord, how come we don't have that as believers? Where does that go? Why, where's that joy of, of knowing I'm in with Jesus? I'm in covenant with Him. <laughs> you know? And it was so refreshing just to sit and hear their story and, and, and hear, you know, just the excitement they have to no longer be independent, but to become one. And Jesus says, hey, this oneness of you and me, it's all about joy. Love me, walk in faith and obedience, and you know what? Joy. Joy. And he's like, well, how come I'm, if you're kind of wondering why you're missing some joy, right? Let's go back to maybe you're trying to negotiate a little bit. Maybe you're trying to play the field a little bit. Part-time all-in. Part-time bachelor. Right? Those are just real heart questions. Real heart-level questions that, that maybe you'll invite some people in to speak truth and help you. Counsel. Pray. Hey, Mark, you know, I need some help with this area. I'm struggling with it. I don't really like this scripture that God put in my... But Mark, I need you to help me. Because in the flesh, I don't like it. But I understand it's diabetes, so I have to make a choice. Mark, will you help me make that choice? Will you hold me accountable? Will you pray with me? Can I be honest with you when I blow it? That's the power of the body of Christ. And then as I make progress in that area, my joy. See, a lot of us right now, you're not having joy because we, we, we become islands. We assent to the fact that we're part of a church or the church, but really, on a Sunday morning, all across this country and all across the world is a bunch of islands. And we're struggling with our frailty. We're struggling with our sin. We're struggling with the areas. And, and our joy just gets sapped because I blew it again. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. Oh, Lord. And he's saying, hey, just open up. Just open up. Share your life with others. And, and, and understand what it is that we're all in sanctification together. And as you make little bits of progress, you know what happens? Joy. And joy. And joy. Like, oh, okay. I get it. I get it. And that's, that's my heart. That's our prayer for us this morning. If you've been trying to negotiate... First step, admit you've been trying to negotiate. If you've been trying to play the field and been part-time in and part-time single, start there, just admit it. Lord, you got me. You got me. Just start there. And then come back to John fifteen eleven. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Ah, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you. That as I walk with you in a covenant relationship, you say, your joy will be in me and my joy will be complete. Amen?
Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And we saw today in Matthew that Jesus was tempted to act independently. He had a real need. He was confronted with a physical need, a real need in his life, hunger. And the devil was tempting him to say, hey, Jesus, just do it on your own. You don't need God. You don't even need to know God's will. You have the power. You have the strength. You have the ability. Just fix it. Act independently of your father. And we're so thankful, Jesus, that when you quoted Deuteronomy 8, you reminded us of the power of our Heavenly Father to provide supernaturally just by saying it. We get so fixated on the circumstances. We get so fixated on the problem. We get so fixated on the solution that we lose sight that our Father has it all under control. And so, Lord, this morning we ask Your forgiveness for the areas in our life where we have been acting independently. We're like those businessmen in James that have made our plans without You. And so as we prepare for communion, we ask Your forgiveness for these areas in our life. We've been trying to negotiate if we've been playing the field half in and half out, we ask your forgiveness. And we're reminded through the celebration of communion that Jesus, you said nevertheless, you yielded to your Father's will. And so as we hold these cups, may this be a time of remembrance, but also a time perhaps for many of us to say, okay, Lord, nevertheless, You are the greater, I am the lesser. Nevertheless, I can no longer act and live independent of you. So I'm yielding. I want to abide, I want to obey in the power of the Holy Spirit. I want the joy that you speak about in John 15, 11. So we give you this time of communion and, and reflection now. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>